Well, what a beautiful time of singing and worship this morning as we've just thought about how good God is to us and how wonderful of a salvation that we have. And so we're going to kind of carry on in that vein this morning as we uh, finish out the ninth chapter of, Luke, of Luke's gospel, the gospel of Luke. So if you want to find your place there this morning, we're going to be in the final verses, beginning in verse 57, if you'll find your place there. I want to speak to the subject of on the road. Just what it means to be on the road with Jesus, and I'll share more about that, what that means, what the idea is behind that in just a moment. But think about you being on the road, and if you are on a road, that means you're going somewhere, and in every facet of our life, we are going somewhere, right? Uh, we're, uh, if you're in... Um, if you're a kid, you're growing up, remember years ago when you were a student, no matter what grade you're in, you're on a journey. You're on the road to move from one place where you are to where you want to be at your final destination. And so if you're in first grade, your final destination is graduation as a senior in high school, perhaps college, postgraduate work, doctoral work. You're moving along to a destination. And so that's true in education. That's true in your job. If you started at an entry-level position, you probably don't want to stay there the rest of your career. You want to move up. You have a destination that you're shooting for. And so we're all on the road in various aspects in our life. And so with that understanding this morning, who are you following? Uh, what is the destination and who's leading you to that destination? Many of us, if not the vast majority of us in this room and listening to us online are, are on social media. And, and so on social media, more than likely, you have more friends and followers than the people you know. Like you're not really friends with every person that you follow or are friends with either on Facebook or whatever platform you're on, right? Or am I the only strange person in the room that has more friends and followers than I actually no. Some of these people I have to like ask myself, who is this again? How do I know these people? This different connections, all the states that I've lived in over the years. And so we have this platform where we have friends and followers that we don't really know. And a lot of the people that we are connected to on social media have this title that's become very prominent in the last few years. They are influencers. Uh, influencers are individuals who operate on social media and they are paid by various brands, companies to push or influence a particular product. And so these companies have come to realize how influential it can be to showcase their product or the trend that they want to uh, get out there. They, they found that it's much more advantageous to have their product show up in pictures and stories and videos, sort of this real-time, realistic uh, perspective that gives them an audience that enables their advertisement dollars perhaps to go further and to accomplish more. And so we have all of these influencers on our various platforms throughout social media. Now on the flip side of that, the consumers of social media see those stories, watch those videos, see those pictures, and are swayed toward a certain brand or a certain trend. So I just look at all of this and have to ask the question, how or why does this happen? I don't know these people. They don't have any influence over me. We're not in personal relationship with one another. So how can an influencer detached from me that I see on a social media platform influence me to do what they want me to do or to buy into what they want me to buy in? It's an interesting question. Here's another question. Did you know that many, if not most, animals are herd creatures? I mean, let's go back to school. I mentioned that earlier. Let's think about biology. Let's think about animal science. Most animals are herd creatures. And what I mean by this is that not just do they travel together, but more importantly, they follow the group. Right? Herd creatures follow the group. They move together. They do things, perhaps almost everything, together. We all have observed this phenomenon. Let me just give you a few examples. Here in Powhatan, we have our fair share of Canadian geese. And so what you see when a flock of geese fly over head, what are they in? They're in a V formation, right? 
They're, they're always traveling in a V formation. Rarely do you see a single goose flying by itself. Occasionally at my house, because we have a lake very close, you will see an occasional goose by himself. He's lost. Like He's that phrase that I always use, you all don't understand. It's a goose lost in a hailstorm. He's looking for his buddies. And so he's trying to connect with another person. But usually what you see in geese is more than one goose flying together in formation. And if there's enough of them, it's a V formation. And they all go in the same direction wherever that V goes. Let's go to another example for our farmers in here. Cattle feed together, graze together in the pasture, and they will follow one another all throughout that pasture all day long. Rarely do you see a cow off by itself. And so that means the farmer understands that if the farmer needs to move the herd in a certain direction, he just has to get that herd going and every one of those cows within the herd will follow in that direction. So just get the herd moving and they will go right into the crowd. Get that herd going and they will get onto the trailer and go to the livestock auction. You just got to get the herd moving. Let me give you a third and final example for our hunters in the house this morning. Amen? Deer are herd creatures. You see a, a, a group of, a herd of deer, what are they doing? They're grazing through the field, they're grazing through the woods as a group, as a herd, and so they're always going to move in a certain direction, and they're all going to go. Now, they may take a little different path, but they're all moving in the same direction. They're not always walking the same line, just like cows, but they're moving in a certain direction. For example, last fall, I was sitting in a tree stand, and, and one of the deer I harvested, I was sitting there, I saw a herd of deer coming into my right. There's a deep ditch that they're going to have to cross, so I watched that first deer, where that deer crossed, came up to their side, and so I ran that got set up and knew exactly that when all of those deer came across that ditch that's where they're gonna come and so I had a perfect easy unhurried shot because they're herd creatures now all the peated people in the house sorry I was exercising Genesis 1 dominion over what the Lord has given to me unashamedly this morning you know, as we observe this behavior in the animal kingdom, it really shouldn't behoove us or surprise us that we, too, have very similar behaviors. Humans act in a very similar way. This is why, as I talked about earlier, the influencers have an influence over us. Right? They're moving the herd. They're influencing the way we think, the way we believe, the way we look at things, the way we are swayed. And so this is the tendency for people's behaviors or beliefs to conform to those of the group to which they belong. It's a herd mentality. Fashion trends are easy examples of the herd mentality. Here, here's what we hear about people in fashion. I am just expressing my individualism. I'm expressing myself. You ever heard people say that? L look at the way I dress. Or maybe the question is, hey, style is interesting, not knocking at all. It looks great, but how did you come up with that? I'm just expressing myself. I really don't know what that means, but they're just expressing themselves. I find it humorous, especially in the younger generations, because this is what they tend to do. They're trying to they're trying to understand themselves. They're trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to find themselves. And so they always want to express themselves, quote unquote. And yet this, tomorrow morning, if you went with me and we visited the middle school and the high school here in Powhatan, you know what you would see? No, no knock on students. I got a 14-year-old. No knock on young people. But you would see a bunch of individuals that look just like everybody else expressing their individualism, but it's funny, the hairstyle, the clothing, the, the, the behaviors, the language they use, all of the things looks just like everyone else their age, but they are expressing themselves. Herd mentality, right? We are just like the rest of the animals in many ways when it comes to this mentality. Now, I've picked on the students, I've picked on the adults. Uh, listen up, adults, you're the same way. All of us are like this. Our fashion choices follow herd trends. I mean, I'm old enough now to see some of these things come back around. And what we're seeing, not just in the young people, but in adults, is 1980s and some 90s clothing styles. I was glad to leave those in the past. But those babies are coming back, right? And we adults are falling right along with that. 
That's the way things are. Our beliefs and our convictions, think about this, are also shaped by the herd. Conformity to societal mores is our natural default. We fear standing out and against those norms. Why is that? Because scrutiny that comes with standing against those things is uncomfortable. We don't want to face the scrutiny that might come with standing outside of the norm, standing outside of those societal mores, those normal patterns. We don't want to look awkward. We don't want to look different. We want to conform. It's a herd mentality. And as Christians who hopefully will begin to understand this, it's important for us to, to ask the question of who am I following? Who's the influencer in my life? Who are those influencers in my life? Am I going along with the cultural trend? Am I riding this cultural wave? Or am I standing out and against that? So what is that cultural trend? What is that wave that most people are on? And should I be on it? Or is there something different that I need to be doing altogether? These are questions that we need to ask ourselves as followers of Jesus. And so it's necessary then... That we take stock of ourselves and determine which herd holds the influence over our lives. You see, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, when you responded in faith to him, that call to salvation, here's what you did. You joined a herd. You joined a herd. We're all herd creatures. We're all following along with one or multiple herds. And so which herd are you in? Who has the influence over your life? And where is that journey taking you, that herd's destination taking you? So while this is true theologically, we understand that we are part of a new herd. It oftentimes is a struggle practically. Why is that? Because of the pressure that comes from those societal patterns of the larger herd. So we don't want to stand out. And yet it's critical for us to remember that journeying with Jesus can often lead believers to feel like strangers living in isolation. To feel like an exile in this life, an exile on this earth because we are different than the rest of the people around us. As we move into this next pericope, this next set of verses here in Luke's gospel, what we find is Jesus and his disciples on the road. They're making their way, way ever so slowly toward Jerusalem. And all of the things that await Jesus there in Jerusalem. Remember last week we were looking in the previous passage how Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And what we're going to see over the next 10 chapters is Luke not giving us all of the details of where they are and how it's going to Jerusalem, but the journey is moving toward Jerusalem and everything that's going to await Jesus there. And so they are on the road, and as they're on the road, Jesus encounters here three different people who have an opportunity to follow the Lord. Two of these people pledge their commitment to follow Jesus. The other one, Jesus invites to himself. Each of them, however, they heard the invitation or pledged their faithfulness, wanted a guarantee of security and comfort. They wanted things to be normal. Don't we just want things to be normal? The other day, I, um, speaking of social media, you know how every so often something you posted in the years past or weeks past or whatever will pop up. And I saw that uh, just a few days ago, that was the Sunday three years ago where we didn't have church for like 11 weeks, right? We were all online. And I saw that post and it said something like, um, Strange that I just did a Facebook uh, devotional and, and all these things, and I look through feed, and I see that all my pastor friends around the country are doing the same thing, weird times that we're in. What I've wanted for the last three years for us to just be normal, right? And so we always want to be normal, especially when it comes to those societal pressures. We just want to fit in. We don't want to stand out. We don't want to be on the fringe of society and the fringe of life, And so there's this desire in these men to have security, to have comfort. They don't want to break away from the customs and stand out in their culture. And so this morning as we examine these verses, I want us to remember that this scene is set in the context of the kingdom. Just 
hermeneutic here, as you're reading through Scripture, studying Scripture, always understand the context, right? This passage, we don't want to lift and say, or have it say whatever we want it to say. We want to understand it in the context that it's set. Things that are coming before, things that are coming after, and the overall gospel itself. And what we've seen is that Luke here, as he's describing the life and ministry of Jesus, is profoundly calling us to the kingdom. To understand the kingdom and the mission of the kingdom. And we've seen this already as Jesus has been preaching the kingdom and he's sent out the twelve. Next Sunday, Lord willing, as we move into chapter 10, we're going to see that he sends out 72 others to go and do the same. To preach the kingdom, to heal, to cast out demons, to do the work of the kingdom. And so we are reminded that journeying with Jesus and engaged in his mission can often lead us to feel like strangers in exile. And because of that, Jesus here in these verses offers three exhortations while we are on the road. Join me as we read these six verses. Luke 9, verse 57. Luke says, And as they, remember that's Jesus and the twelve, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. This man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What do you think about as you read those verses? What are some of the things that come to your mind? What are some of the emotions, perhaps even more specific, that comes to your mind? Sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? Uh, this is supposed to be the meek and mild Jesus. This is supposed to be the Lord who's compassionate and loving. And yet when he hears these men pledge their faithfulness, he, he says foxes have holes and birds have nests, but son of man has no place to lay his head. Let me go bury my father. Let the dead bury the dead. Uh, let me first go... Uh, tell my parents goodbye, my family goodbye. And he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Harsh words, seemingly harsh words coming from the mouth of our Savior. So these three interactions here exhibit for us, think about this, that following Jesus does not mean merely imitating him. I think there's more depth here. I believe what we're seeing here is that they reveal us that this is a call to enter the very condition of his life. Jesus paired mercy with an astonishing call to commitment because it was his loving mercy and his commitment that kept him on the road. Jesus has come to give mercy to us, but he committed to that. What did he commit? His very life. He's calling us to imitate his mercy, but also imitate and emulate the commitment that he's given to this call. So we are called to imitate and emulate and experience the very conditions of his life. All of this led him to obey the Father's will that took him to the cross. Remember, they're going to Jerusalem. You know, as believers, we often talk about following Jesus. That, that's good conversation as Christians, right? We talk about following Jesus. We encourage people to follow Jesus. Sometimes we even share the gospel and we're inviting people to follow Jesus. We just sang a song about it, amen? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. When you were singing that song a while ago, what were you thinking? Probably not much, if you're like me. There's times when I sing songs that I'm just singing the song, but I'm not really thinking about the message behind it. When we sing songs to the Lord, our heart ought to be in it. We ought to be thinking through the message. We ought to be thinking about the, the commitment. Because you, as you sing that song, you're making a commitment. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. What does that mean? That means I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's what Paul said in Galatians 2. 
So we're crucified in Christ. So it's not my life, but it's his life, him living through me. So I'm not turning back. I'm walking with Jesus. Come hell or high water, whatever this life may bring, my commitment, my yes is on the table. That's what you're saying when you sing that song. But I think as we sing these songs, as we make our commitments to Jesus, as we walk through this life and we're on this road, many times we just think it's an easy road. It's almost like we are in the Wizard of Oz and we are in Dorothy's position and she knows the destination is Oz. She knows the road to get there is the yellow brick road and so she's just going to follow it. And that's what we do. I'm following Jesus, and I'm going to the destination. What's the destination? It's heaven. It's, it's intimacy with Jesus, eternity with the Godhead, and I'm just going down that road. But what is on that road? Even for Dorothy, it's danger and difficulty, right? You guys were troubled as children watching that movie. You got the wicked witch of the West and the monkeys that are flying around. It's all that crazy stuff. You got that tin guy that's standing amongst the apple trees that all of a sudden starts talking, but he's not moving. You got the crazy scarecrow. All of that scared her to death. You guys never watched Wizard of Oz? Okay, okay. That's my sister's favorite movie. She's like a nut about the Wizard of Oz. She collects all kinds of stuff. Uh, we were at a, at a resort a few months ago, and I saw this collection, and these figurines were like $2,000 a piece. I took pictures of them, sent them to my sister, and said, how many of these you want? She didn't take it up. I wouldn't have bought it anyway because I don't think she'd have paid me back. We need to remember that the road with Jesus, this road of the kingdom, is filled with its own set of danger and difficulty. So with that understanding, we need to always uh, uh, keep that in mind. We should not expect to experience easy life, but instead we should expect to experience struggles and difficulties. We should expect to experience all of the things that Jesus experienced. Some Christians, that even means death. Some Christians, that even means exile. That, that means when you put your yes on the table, that you are saying, I am willing to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. So we need encouragement to walk this road that we've been called to walk. Let me give you three encouragements, three exhortations, three things to keep in mind as we are walking this road in the kingdom on mission for Jesus Christ. Here's the first thing. On the road, expect to be inconvenienced. Anybody like to be inconvenienced? No. If you are saying yes, you're a liar, and I expect you up here to repent of your sin this morning. None of us like to be inconvenienced. I I hate it. I'll just be honest. I mean, it's just my human nature, my flesh coming out. I don't like to be inconvenienced. Thankfully, I don't always respond in a negative way, but I don't like it. I just endure it, right? None of us like to be inconvenienced. But Jesus here, in this response that he gives to this first man, calls us to this expectation to be inconvenienced as a follower of Jesus, walking the road of faithfulness, walking the road of mission, walking the road of kingdom engagement. He's calling us to this expectation. So Jesus and his men are traveling down the road. They're moving toward the suffering that it's awaiting in Jerusalem. Matthew tells us in Matthew 8, 19, that a scribe is the one who says, Jesus, I will follow you. Jesus, I will follow you. Pledges his commitment. This promise sounds like a good thing. I mean, who wouldn't welcome someone's pledge? If you're building a team, you want to get recruits. And it's easier to get a recruit who says, sign me up, than a recruit that you've got to talk into it. And so as we read this, it really kind of befuddles us. It doesn't make sense that Jesus would make such a statement like he does in verse 59, 58. There he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Nowhere to lay his head. Do you notice irony in that statement? The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Who's the Son of Man? It's Jesus Christ. Well, who's Jesus Christ? John 1 tells us that he's the creator. 
He's one of the three persons of the Godhead there in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 who create all that there is. Jesus is the Logos, the Word of God, through which creation came into existence. So what Jesus is saying here is that the Creator finds no place to lay his head in his creation. There's irony there. How can that be that the Creator is not welcome in his creation? So we read here, humility and sacrifice being full display in the life of Jesus. When Jesus came to this world, this world is set against him, and yet he divested himself of all the glories, all the privileges that came with the heaven he comes from, and he enters a creation that is homeless to him. Remember the statement I shared with you a couple Sundays ago from Chuck Swindoll as he talked about Jesus. He said this, a borrowed manger and a borrowed tomb framed his life. I love that statement. It's profound to me. Jesus enters this world as the creator of all that there is, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and he borrows a manger to be born into, to be laid into. And as he's crucified and buried, it's not his tomb like a king would have with all of its glory. It's a borrowed tomb of just a regular common person. Yeah, rich in his own right, but just a human being. That's the meekness and the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we are meant to derive from this statement that Jesus makes is the understanding that following the Lord means following him in the life that he lived. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus finds no place to lay his head. Some of you are scratching your head this morning because you're a Bible scholar and you're saying, Pastor, I, I don't know that I agree with that statement, that he was homeless, that he had no place to lay his head. We know that he had places to lay his head. Uh, Pastor, do you not remember how he stayed with Peter in Capernaum and, and was shown hospitality there on multiple occasions? Or, or, Pastor, think about when Jesus would visit his beloved friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He loved them. He loved going to them. They showed him hospitality. Or maybe you're thinking of Mark chapter 10. Where Jesus says, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now on this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. So we obviously biblically understand that it's true and that not everyone who follows Jesus and works to expand his kingdom will be homeless because Jesus was not always homeless. And yet we can and we should expect to face some level of hardship. Did you notice what he said in, Matthew, or in Mark chapter 10? With persecutions? Did you notice when I quoted out of John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribulation? So we should expect Tribulation. We should expect hardship. We should expect to experience inconveniences as we walk this road with Jesus Christ, as we engage in kingdom work. You see, if Jesus left the glories of heaven to Emmanuel with us and experience the difficulties that he experienced, should we not also expect to have some pushback in our own lives? So if Jesus experienced hardship and suffering, we also should expect to experience that in our lives for the sake of the gospel. So on this road, let's expect to be inconvenienced. Here's, here's a statement. If in your walk with Jesus, you don't experience some level of discomfort, I would say there's something wrong with your walk. There's something wrong with the, work, with the road that you are on. Here's the second exhortation. On the road, expect to experience inconveniences. Number two, live with a sense of urgency. The second man in the story here was invited by Jesus to get on the road. He's not one that's calling out to Jesus. He's a man that's invited by Jesus. And he responded by asking if he could first go and bury his father. Sounds legitimate, right? 
And so, again, we read this and we think, man, that's some harsh words from the Lord Jesus. Who would ever deny a man or a woman or anybody the opportunity to go and to grieve and to mourn with their family and to pay their respects and to honor that father? In fact, we, even might, even, we might even go to the extent to say Jesus sounds like he's contradicting the fifth commandment. It sounds like Jesus might be contradicting his own words from Matthew chapter 15. Definitely sounds like he's contradicting the teaching of the rabbis. You see, the, uh, all of these teachings, including the rabbis, called for honoring one's parents by remembering them, acting kindly toward them, making provision for them, making sure they were kept well. In reference to honoring parents in death, the rabbis had created a very complex system, a, a way to protect this endeavor, to protect this desire to, uh, to care for the dead, to honor the dead. In fact, burial of the dead was considered a religious duty. It took precedence over all others, including the study of the law. Here's what the rabbis wrote concerning that. He who is confronted by a dead relative is freed from reciting the Shema from the 18 benedictions and from all the commandments stated in the Torah. So burying the dead in that culture, according to the rabbis, was of the utmost importance to Jewish people. And so as we read this statement Jesus makes to this man, it sounds very harsh. What are we to make of it? I think the best way we can look at this, the best way we can make sense of it, is to recognize what is not said in verse 59. What's not said in verse 59? The man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. You see, what the man does not say here in this statement is that his dad is dead. We don't know that he's dead. In fact, we would... I think we're led to believe he is not dead. Because here's what we know. Based upon the rabbi's teaching, based upon uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, the fifth commandment, based upon what Jesus would say in Matthew 15 about honoring your parents. He talks about Corbin. What we know about this, if this man's father was dead, he wouldn't have been there on the side of the road. He would have been with his parents, with his mom and with his family. He would have been home planning a funeral. He would have been home mourning with his relatives. He would have been home planning a celebration to honor his dad's life and his memory and his legacy. And so this man's dad was not dead. We are meant to believe that the man's father was elderly. We're meant to believe that the man was asking Jesus for permission to delay following him until his father died. And so this request reveals that the man had no concept of the urgent and importance of the task to which Jesus was calling him. Jesus was calling him to kingdom work. Jesus was calling him to gospel work. And this man says, let me put that on the back burner for now so I can deal with family matters. Jesus' statement to this man does feel harsh, but he's really just saying, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead, but you go proclaim the kingdom of God. So the implication is that the preaching of the kingdom is greater and it is more urgent than burying the dead and grieving with one's family. Is Jesus here this morning telling us to never have a funeral? Not at all. He's just using this situation to highlight the priority of the gospel proclamation. That as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, walking this road of the kingdom, that has to be of utmost importance in our lives. It makes our love toward our families look like hatred because Jesus is so preeminent in the viewpoint of our lives and how we care about our business. The journey on the road with Jesus is an urgent one. What, what do I mean by that? As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been saved through the preaching of the gospel. Your sins have been forgiven because you have come to the understanding of what Jesus Christ has done for you. We don't have time to, to go through the details of the gospel. I'm going to assume that you understand the gospel message. We preach, teach, 
and major on it. So if you've been with us any amount of time whatsoever, you have heard the gospel message. So if you know Jesus this morning, you have come into faith. Your relationship with God has been restored because you've believed on Jesus through the preaching of the gospel. So as we think about the urgency of the gospel, one of the reasons it's urgent is because now that you've received the gospel, you have a story to tell in the gospel, and you know the words of the gospel as well. So you have words of life, right? We walk and we live and we do our business. We we interact with people all the time, every day, with people who are not spiritually alive, and we hold the very words of life. You catch that? We hold the words of life in our hand. What else do we know about life? It's tangent. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. Life is fading. I'm often reminded of how short of my how short of life my dad lived. He died at the age of 35. I will be 45 in May. I remember almost 10 years ago when I turned 35, that was a weird year for me because I'm outliving my dad. I won't tell you how kooky I was, but in the back of my mind, I kind of had this idea that I may not make it past 35. That's, that was a weird thought. I never really expressed that to anybody, but in the back of my mind, I kind of had that, that, that thought. I could die at 35, not scared of it, not, 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 um, not taken down by it, but it was there. It was just this mindset. And, and so oftentimes I'm reminded of how short, how, f- how feeble life can be. And so we only have a short time with people. And so when God gives us opportunities as we're walking on this road with him, we need to be urgent with the gospel. So if you're flying somewhere, you're in a taxi or an Uber somewhere, or or whatever the situation is where you only have a short amount of time, are you leveraging those opportunities for kingdom work? Are you trying to get the gospel in there? Are you trying to tell your story? We only have a short window, even in our own children, in our home. Right? We have more years. We have more time than perhaps a, a flight somewhere or an Uber ride somewhere. But you only got really a a short window where you absolutely have their attention fully directed on you. How are you leveraging that for the gospel in your own home? Your extended family. We talk about where you live, work, and play all the time. Those are short windows. Some of those relationships you have come and go, right? You have a coworker that's there today, but they may get another job. Are you leveraging the relationship you have for kingdom purposes there? You may have a neighbor that lives in your, your neighborhood down the street. Are you leveraging that because they're here today? They may not be there next month. The ball teams that our kids are playing on, the dance recitals and all the extracurriculars that we are forced into, those relationships we're forced into, those change all the time. Every season, you're given a new set of relationships. Are we leveraging those for kingdom purposes? Am I speaking to myself this morning? Okay. Live with a sense of urgency. Nothing is certain. The only thing certain about life is Jesus' lordship and his eternality, death that's awaiting all of us, and the fact that we can be forgiven of all our sin. There's a third exhortation I want to share here. While on the road, focus on the call. Like this first man, the third man offered his allegiance to Jesus, and similar to the second man's request, uh, his... Request had some biblical support. Look what he says there. Another man says, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow, looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, what's the biblical support here? Well, you Bible scholars that are in the room, you probably are going to 1 Kings chapter 19, and you're remembering when the great prophet by the name of Elijah is about to be taken up in the whirlwind, uh, and God tells him to go and put his mantle on the next prophet. And so he finds Elisha, who's plowing a field with 12 oxen, and Elisha walk, or Elijah walks up to Elisha, puts the mantle, puts his cloak on him, and Elisha is overwhelmed by this, wants to go into this new discipleship. He says, let me first go and say farewell to my folks. 
Elijah, I think it's just a funny story there in 1 Kings. It's almost like Elijah doesn't care. He's like, sure, whatever, do whatever you want. He's just throwing the mantle. I don't know what the, the, the heart is there of Elijah, but he says, sure, go do that. Jesus knows the story. Jesus takes the story, relates it to this situation, and says, no one who puts his hand to the plow looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. So what's the point? Jesus' point was that there would be time later for goodbyes. But right now, focus on the call. So a disciple must not condition his commitment to even the most proper of obligations because the call of the gospel has to come first and remain the focus of one's life. That's why he uses this picture, this proverbial picture of plowing a field. You see, it was proverbial in ancient culture that one could not look back while plowing and drive a straight furrow. We don't hitch our mules up or our oxen up and plow fields, right? We use tractors. Any farmers in the house got a tractor? You're about ready to plow some land. Rocky, I know you're in the back back there. You can plow some furrows, I'm sure. How many times do you think that you're going to drive and plow a straight furrow looking backward? No. When I'm driving down the road, especially through the countryside, and I'm looking for all the things that I want to see, like especially in the fall, like there's a, you know, there's a 160-inch deer in the field. I'm driving like this. I mean, Kara's like yelling at me. I'm getting back on the road because wherever my eyes go, that's where my hands go on the steering wheel. That's the idea here, right? So it was customary. It was, it was kind of a lull there, an understood lull that you cannot look back. Those, here's what it means for us. Those who crave after what they left behind, those who are always remembering the comforts of home and family, those who dream about how life might have been if they had not stepped onto the road with Jesus, those who keep looking in the rearview mirror will never do well. They will never fare well on Jesus' road. The call of discipleship must be the believer's top priority in life. As I was thinking through this, even this morning, I thought of how crucial this picture right here must be. It has to be for missionaries. It's a word for us today, but for those who are picking up and taking their life cross-culturally, what a temptation it is on the mission field to think about life back home. On some level, and I don't mean to get sympathy at all, but on some level, I think Kara and I and our family grasp this. We're a long ways from home, and we've been this way for a long time in our ministry. So we don't know anything different. It's just the way it is. But there are moments, and I will tell you, over the years, it's lesser now than it used to be, but there are moments where home sounded really good. And you begin to wonder, man, if I would have decided to do this instead of that, where would that have taken me? And, and you get into this, into this circle, this cycle there of wondering what if and second-guessing and all those things. And what happens is, is you get your eyes off the focus, you get your eyes off the goal, you get your eyes off the destination, and you're no good whatsoever because you're driving the wheels of the car into the ditch. So that's what Jesus is saying here. This is a message for all of us. It's a message for missionaries and church planners to just say, here's the goal, here's the priority, here's the destination, here is the call of God upon my life. As I'm walking this kingdom road with Jesus, I am not turning back. I'm not looking back. I'm not wondering about what's behind me. No, it's forward on. It's all the way to the end. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to walk in holiness, and I'm going to continue to engage people with the gospel. Why? Because that's the path the Lord Jesus has put me on. Whether it's on the mission field in Europe or Africa or Australia or Asia, South America, Central America, Canada, whether you're a church planner or whether you're a resident in Powhatan and you're going to work in Midlothian, it is the road that Jesus has put you on and there's no turning back whatsoever. Focus on the call. The call of the gospel must come first. It must remain the focus. There's all kinds of influencers in our world. And on various levels, we are influenced by more than we would like to admit, right? I'd love to tell you this morning that when I'm on platforms, really it's just 
Facebook that I, I get tired. I mean, to keep up with multiple platforms, I ain't got time for all that, right? So, you know, Facebook's been that thing for, I don't know, a decade or more. And so I'll, I'll do that, but I'll, I like to think that, you know, I don't, I don't get influenced by people that do stuff. But you know what comes up in my feed? Outdoor stuff. You think I don't get influenced by that? Hey, those lithium batteries look pretty sweet. I probably need those. How much do they cost? Oh, maybe I don't need those right now, but I'm going to save for those things. Man, I, I like that new line that's coming out and those rods and those reels. Or Man, I love that new line, that, that new gun line or that new camo pattern. Those things always get my eyes going. So I'm influenced. I got to admit, I am influenced by influencers that are peddling their wares to me. So we have influencers all around us leading us in certain direction. And so for this reason, you and I, we need to recognize the herd men mentality. We need to recognize it and investigate it in our own lives because we have this natural tendency, this natural default position that we don't want to stand out. We want to stay within the cultural standards and patterns, and we don't want to be an outlier because those people are weird. And that's dangerous territory. Oh, no, I'm an individual. Sure you are. You look just like everyone else, and you act like just, just like everyone else, and you sound just like everyone else, but you're an individual within the herd. And so as we think about this, we need to just understand there's not much difference when it comes to the way we view life versus many of the animals walking around in herds. And so this morning, what is the herd, and which are the herds that you're following along in? Are you moving along in the herd of the world? Or are you moving along in the herd of heaven? The herd that's led by the Lord Jesus Christ. That the herd that follows the teaching of his word. The, the herd that has the spirit of God empowering you and leading you and fueling you to be gospel-centered in every facet of your life. Here's what I know about these two different herds. If you walk with Jesus, you will sense that this world is not your home. But if you walk in the herd of the world, you will conform more and more to it. I think if you're a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to be miserable as can be, though. You're going to have the Spirit of God within you that is provoked continually, and He's not going to allow you to, to be drawn more and more into that. And so why don't we just give up now and say, I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. Whatever the dangers there are, whatever the difficulties that may come, I will not turn back. I'm going to jump in the herd that I belong in. I'm going to jump in the herd that I was created for. I'm going to follow along with the King of Kings that's created me in his image, that's redeemed me through the blood of the Lamb, that's changed my life, and I am not ashamed of that. I don't care. I'm not going to be odd. I'm not going to be weird. I'm not going to try to be peculiar or different, but I'm going to stand out because the things of this world don't resemble me. Because I'm living for another world. Because I understand that I'm just passing through. I understand that I'm a pilgrim and a sojourner. And my eyes are set on a greater kingdom and a greater city. And I'm moving towards that city. This morning, I want to call us to walk this road with Jesus and expect to be inconvenienced, to live with a sense of urgency with the gospel and focus on that call of God upon our lives. What's your life look like this morning? How does your discipleship measure up to these three expectations or these three exhortations? Are you okay with being inconvenienced when it comes to the kingdom? Is there an urgency about your walk with Jesus and more specifically your desire to share the gospel with others? And is there an undivided, unwavering focus on that call? What's the Lord saying to you this morning? Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that you are king. We acknowledge this morning that those of us who have been redeemed through the blood of the Lamb are part of that kingdom. And it is a glorious kingdom. It is a wonderful kingdom. And it is a gracious kingdom. And it's a king that will forever reign. That when all of the things of this world that we live in are gone and burned up and are no more, the kingdom of God will still rule supremely. And we're a part of that. And God, we just glory in the grace and the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel that we have believed on for our redemption. 
We also acknowledge this morning that as we have been redeemed and are desiring to walk in that redemption, that there is also the natural draw away from that, this struggle that we live with in this world. So many times, Lord, we lose our focus and we lose our passion and we lose our sense of urgency and we settle for lesser things. God, I pray that you'd help us as a church, as individual believers, to feel the weight of the words that come from the mouth of Jesus in this text, calling us to set our plow a little deeper, to set our gaze a little bit more firmly upon him. Father, I don't know where this hits any one person in this room, but God, I do believe and I do know it is a message we all need to hear and it's a message we need to heed. And so, Lord, help us this morning. As followers of Jesus Christ, may we lean in more. May we recognize the inadequacies. May we confess those things and acknowledge those things and, if needed, repent of those things and just ask the Spirit of God to empower us and ask the Spirit of God to give us the ability to say yes to the things and the directions you would have us to go. Lord, in this room, I also pray for those who have not yet surrendered to Jesus Christ. As Ephesians 2 would tell us, they're still dead in their sins. They're still under the just condemnation of a holy God. And yet you have fully provided for their forgiveness, fully provided in Jesus everything so that they could be redeemed and put into your kingdom. So I pray this morning that, Lord, you would help us, help those who need Jesus this morning to recognize, to acknowledge, and to grasp hold of that this morning, just simply by faith. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And this morning, as we have listened to your word, and God, right now, as we are listening to your spirit, may our ears be fully attentive, our hearts be fully respect, receptive, and may we respond in faith and obedience, whatever it is you're saying to us. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.